1 through 4, Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. We're going to be introduced to one of the greatest attitudes known among men. If you'll look there, Hebrews 2, verse 1 says, We ought to give the more earnest heed, the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard. Now, the more modern translations will have it something like this. We need to pay much closer attention to the things that we've heard. The things we've heard are things of the gospel. So give more earnest heed or pay much closer attention to the things that we've heard from the gospel. This is the attitude and goal that I'm speaking of here. It's one of the greatest attitudes known to man. This phrase is also used in Acts 20 and verse 28 as Paul instructs the elders to take heed to themselves or it can be translated like this, pay much closer attention to yourselves and then to the flock. A similar phrase is used in 1 Timothy 4.13 where Paul says, give attendance to, give earnest heed to, three things. First, to the reading of scripture. Second, to the exhorting of the brethren. And third, to doctrine, to doctrine. You see, when we have this attitude, it'll be no problem surrendering in obedience to the gospel. How do you know that? Well, if you turn over to Acts 8 and look at Philip preaching in Samaria, Acts 8, 5, and 6, you'll see Philip preaching in Samaria. And the people give heed, same phrase, same phrase as Hebrews 2, verse 1, the people give heed, or they pay close attention to what he says. And what do you know? By the time you read in Acts 8 and verse 12, the people are believing what Philip is saying and they're being baptized for the remission of their sins. You see that? Acts 16 also, Acts 16, 13 and 14, as Paul comes into Philippi now, he goes out by the riverside, meets some ladies, Lydia's there, and she hears him teach and then the Lord opens her heart. And when the Lord opens her heart, she gives earnest heed to what Paul had been saying as did all of her household, and she was baptized for the remission of her sins. That is, she paid much closer attention to what Paul was saying than, than many others would have, and when she did that, she obeyed the gospel. Now, would you agree that this is a primary attitude? Would you agree this is one of the greatest goals and attitudes that one can have? Surely you're going to say yes, and so let's ask the question then, Going back to Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, let's ask the question, well, why then? Why should we have this attitude? We'll name four reasons tonight. Here from Hebrews 2, we're going to name four reasons why this is such a prominent attitude. What attitude is this? Giving earnest heed to the gospel or paying much closer attention to the gospel. Okay, so why is this so important? Why should we have this attitude? Okay, here we go. Reason number one, because of the exalted position of Jesus. The exalted position of Jesus. Notice the first word in Hebrews 2 verse 1, therefore. Therefore or wherefore, whatever translation you might have. But that points us back to Hebrews 1 that gives the exalted position of Jesus. Okay. Especially we'll look here at Hebrews 1 verses 1 through 4. You ready? Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Notice that Jesus is God's prophet. God speaks through Jesus. He has in these last days, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, spoken unto us 
through his son, through his son. God speaks today to us through his son in the gospel. Okay. John 1.18 to go along with that. Okay. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has made the father known. You see that in John 1.18. So Jesus is the prophet of God. But also notice from Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, that Jesus is the owner of everything. He owns everything. It says there he's been appointed heir of all things. He owns everything. He just owns it all. Okay? And this goes along with what Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. So Jesus is the owner of everything. Keep reading there in Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, and you see that Jesus is the creator of everything. He's the creator of everything. But not only that, next, notice that he is the caretaker of all things. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He up, he's the caretaker. Colossians 1, 17 talks about these very things. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 speaks of Jesus being the creator, but also speaks of him being the caretaker because in him all things in the universe consist. All things are held together because Jesus is holding them together. So he's the prophet of God. He is also the owner of everything. And he's also the creator of everything. And he's the caretaker of everything. But notice also as you keep reading there in Hebrews 1, that Jesus is the express image of the Father. The express image of the Father. He's the exact imprint of the Father. Okay. This is the type of language used in those days that if you saw an image on a coin, engraved on a coin, this is the exact language. Okay. Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father. Don't you know in John 14, Jesus said, He who has seen me has seen... He that has seen me has seen who? The Father. Okay. So Jesus is the express, express image of the Father. Okay. Now, think about it. Jesus not only speaks for God... But he speaks as God. Okay. You see the exalted position of Jesus there in Hebrews uh, chapter 1? And you keep reading on into chapter 1 verse 3. You see that Jesus made purification for our sins. So Jesus is both the priest and the sacrifice. Okay. Keep reading that after he did that, he sat down at the right hand of God. So Jesus is the ruler and king of of the universe, and then notice in verse 4, he is superior over all the angels. About eight different descriptions there of Jesus just in those three or four verses. Okay, So because of the exalted position of Jesus, do we take heed, give the more earnest heed, pay closer attention to these things, because these are the words of Jesus. And look at who he is from Hebrews 1. Of course we're going to pay closer attention to these things because of who he is, his position of who he is. Okay. And there's got to be a marriage between doctrine and practice. There's got to be a marriage between knowing and doing. We know these things about Jesus, therefore we must give it more earnest heed to the gospel, let the gospel come into our hearts and lives, and then carry it out in our daily lives. There's got to be that marriage there And remember, as always, we've been emphasizing this a little bit lately, but that's okay because the scripture makes us do this, that it all begins with Jesus. It all begins with Jesus. Think about the Hebrew writer. We don't know who he is, but we know what he's about. He's, we know what he's all about. 
he, he is concerned that some who have obeyed the gospel and become Christians are being tempted to go back to the old ways, the old law, to their former life. How does he start out his letter? The position of Jesus. He starts it out. Jesus is the prophet. Jesus is, is the owner. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the caretaker. Jesus is the express, express image of, of, of the Father. Jesus has made purification for our sins. Jesus is at the right hand of God. Jesus is superior over the angels. It all begins with Jesus. Jesus comes into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, Matthew chapter 16. He begins to ask this question, who do men say that I am? One speaks up and says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says, now we're ready to go. You've got that down. We are ready to go. The Samaritan woman, she went back to her village. She said, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. And some people came and they believed they were ready now to get started on their Christian journey. And so because of the exalted position of Jesus, reason number two, because we don't want to drift. Reason number two to have this great attitude of paying much closer attention to the things that we've heard because we don't want to drift. You see that in your Bible there, Hebrews 2, 1 and 2? Lest we drift. Drifting carries with the idea of out, out, you're out fishing and you're in a boat and you have no anchor down and you're just drifting where you end up, no one's going to know. And that can be problematic sometimes. But what the writer is saying here, don't let yourselves, don't let yourself drift away from the assurance of God's word. God's word brings the promises of God, no doubt. And notice what Hebrews 6 and 19 says, that we have these promises and they are a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Don't let yourself drift away from the assurances of God's Word. When we look over to Paul in Ephesians 4 and verse 15, he says, speak the truth in love. But back up one verse, he says, don't be like children tossed about with every wind of doctrine. What's going to keep us from being tossed about with every wind of doctrine that comes through the door or the window? Then you've got to speak the truth in love. You've got to hold fast to the truth in love. And so we're going to pay closer attention to things we've heard because we don't want to be drifting, drifting. You see, walking away from God never comes fast. It's always a slow process. It's always slow. No one walks in one day and says, it's time for us to have mechanical instruments of music in worship. No one does that. That's a process. First, you start hanging around the wrong folks who have that idea, and you get influenced, and then you begin to, to uh, have some doubts about the authority of Jesus, and before long, then through that process, it doesn't happen overnight, but it's a, it's a slow process. No one walks in their house one night and says, it's time for us to have a divorce. No, if divorce comes, there's a, there's a process about that. It's a slow process. First, you know, you, you're absorbed in yourself. Okay. And then you begin to flirt with people at work and, and you begin to let your eyes wander and before long, before long after that process, then you might get to that point. But it doesn't never happen overnight. It never does. No one walks in and says, I think it's time to have female leadership in the home and church. No, it's been trending that way for a long time. It scares me more than just a little. It really does. 
but it trends that way. And it is trending that way. See, it comes slowly. It's a, it's a drifting process. Notice with me Psalm 1 verse 1. Blessed is the man. Psalm 1 verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Look at the possibility here. Look at the possibility. The possibility is that first you start walking in the counsel of the ungodly. And then before long, you're not just walking, you're standing. So you're not just walking and thinking about it. Now you're standing in the way of sinners. And look at the next step. The next step is you are now sitting with them and you're in sitting in the seat of the scornful. See, now you're making fun of preachers. Now you're making fun of the gospel. Now you're making fun of the church. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a slow process, you see. Damage is done in steps and in stages. That's why we must give the more earnest heed. A little statement made in 2 Peter 2 verse 1 about false teachers. It says there in 2 Peter 2 and verse 1, they have denied the master that bought them. That's very interesting. They have denied the master, Jesus. They have denied the master that bought them. Now they were bought at one time. They were bought with the blood of Jesus. They submitted to the gospel. They've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. They've been added to the church. But now they're denying him. That didn't happen overnight. No way. No way. There was some kind of slow process there. We have a hint of it there in 2 Peter 1, by the way, verses 5 through 10, okay, where Peter says, give diligence to add to your faith virtue and virtue knowledge and knowledge self-control and self-control love and to love brotherly affection and, and self-control and, and, and all that. And then he says, if you lack these things, you're, you're going to be unfruitful. And if you lack these things, notice verse 9, I think it is, 2 Peter 1. If you, if you lack these things, you will, you will be nearsighted. You will see only that th which is close. And you will forget that you have been purged from your sins. You see. And that's how it happens. You begin to let things slip. I wouldn't doubt that these false teachers would had neglected adding to their faith virtue and virtue knowledge and knowledge temperance and temperance self-control and, and self-control brotherly affection brotherly affection love and I wouldn't doubt it it seems that's what he's, he's saying there why is this attitude so very 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 important because we don't want to be drifting reason number three reason number three right here in Hebrews 2 1 through 4 reason number three is because we want to escape Notice closely, we want to escape the wrath of God. We want to escape the wrath of God. Now we've got to read this. We've got to read this, Hebrews uh, 2. But also think about it. Escape is interesting. You know, Peter says, as we, we get ready here to read in Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 10, but remember in 2 Peter 1 and verse 4 and 2 Peter 2 and verse 20, Peter says, when we obey the gospel, we escape the defilements of the world. And if we stay in the defilements of the world, that will bring the wrath of God. But here in Hebrews, the, the examination gets closer. It, it, 
it gets intense. There's a contrast here between the law of Moses and the law of Christ. Notice it with me here in Hebrews 2, verse 2. For since the message declared by angels, this is the law of Moses, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. In other words, under the law of Moses, those who disobeyed had a just judgment coming their way. Okay. If that was true under the law of Moses, he goes on to ask, how shall we escape, we who are under the law of Christ, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It's rhetorical. We're not going to escape. We're not going to escape. If we don't pay close attention to things that we've heard of the gospel, we're not going to escape. Now, let's read with this. Let's read Hebrews 10, 28. Hebrews 10, 28. And notice this contrast. Hebrews 10, 28. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses. Here we go. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse. Here we go. How much worse. Verse 29, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has, and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's what the Hebrew writer is saying in Hebrews 2. He's saying we've got to give the more earnest heed. We've got to pay closer attention to what we've heard so that we can escape the wrath of God. Now, is it okay to talk about the wrath of God? Are you sure about that? Some people say we don't need to talk about it. We need to just whisper that mainly. Maybe in a side room somewhere. Have you noticed in our world today that about the only thing you've got to do to go to heaven is die? I don't think people are reading the whole gospel. Let's take a moment and read about the wrath of God in Romans and Ephesians. Romans 1, verse 18. Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God, Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Romans 5 now, verse 9. Romans 5, verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Wrath of God. Ephesians 5, verse number 6. If you'll notice that with me. <clears throat> Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of of disobedience. 1 Thessalonians 1 verses 9 and 10 
For they themselves report, 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and, and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. There is a wrath to come. We give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard because we want to escape this wrath to come. Now a couple of thoughts before we move on. Think about the word escape. Escape. That carries the idea of being delivered from a dire situation. You might think of a, a kidnapping. What a, what a nightmare. We, we seem to hear more and more about human trafficking and kidnapping. What an incredible nightmare. To escape from a dire situation like imprisonment of war or kidnapping, that's what comes to mind when we think about escaping. Escaping. Being in a prison, being in a confined prison. Well, the prison that God has in mind for us to think about is that of sin, which brings the wrath of God, you see. Jesus says in John 8 and 34, whoever commits sin becomes a, a slave of sin. And this is the worst sort of captivity and, it, and we are bound to this captivity unless we escape through Christ and his gospel because in the same chapter in, that, in John 8 and 31 and 32, Jesus says, if you, if you continue in my word, then you are my dis disciples indeed and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Free. Those are beautiful, important words when you think about the captivity of sin. How shall we escape? We can escape. Thankfully, it's there. We can escape. If we give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard, we can escape. Before we leave this idea, though, think about it. It's only through Christ and the gospel. You think about sin being like a prison. You and you got walls all around you. you. You can't go over it. You can't go around it. You can't dig out under it. You can't bribe a guard. You can't talk your way out of it. You can't sneak your way around it. Only through Christ and the gospel can we have this escape. Notice this before we move on. This is a we thing. How shall we escape. Whoever the Hebrew writer is, he's not addressing the run-of-the-mill pagan in the world. He's not addressing those, he's not talking to those who, who are hostile to the gospel. He's talking to his own people. He's talking to the brethren. We as brethren are in danger of the wrath of God if we're not giving the more earnest heed to the gospel. This preacher got in trouble for talking about the sins of the saints. And one lady got him after church. And she said, you know, there's a difference between sin in the life of a Christian and sin in the life of a non-Christian. And the preacher said, yeah, it's worse. It's worse. I mean, of all the people, those who've been sanctified by the blood of Jesus, those who've been sanctified by the blood of the new covenant, 
those who have been exposed to the gospel week after week and day after day, we are the ones that ought to be given the more earnest heed. And when there's sin in our lives, it's worse. Ought not so to be. So we give the more earnest heed so we can escape the wrath of God. And then reason number four is because it's such a great salvation. That's what the writer says. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And it is a great salvation. Several reasons for this. The reward of salvation is great, according to Jesus in Matthew 5, verse 12. Verse 12 great is your reward in heaven. Salvation involves the great commandment, Matthew 22, 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Salvation involves the great Savior. Remember when Gabriel came to, to Mary, Luke 1, 31, 32. You shall bear a son. You shall conceive and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, and he shall be great. He shall be great. He shall occupy the throne of his father David. He shall be great. When salvation is enjoyed, there's great joy, according to Acts 15 and, and verse 3. Salvation is here because of the great love of God, Ephesians 2 and verse 4. Paul speaks of the great mystery of godliness in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6, we read that, notice this, that godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain. In Titus 2, 13, we are looking forward to the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ. Hebrews 4.14 says that Jesus is our great high priest. Hebrews 13 and verse 20 says Jesus is a great shepherd of the soul. Of course, salvation is great. It can never be regarded as little or insignificant. It is absolutely huge. It's huge because the Bible says it's great. It's huge because of what we escape. And it's huge because of what we enjoy. It's huge because of what we're able to be involved in now. But notice that the writer says, how shall we escape if we neglect? What do you think the word neglect means? Well, it just simply means to either overlook or take it lightly. Do you take your salvation lightly? Or is it everything to you? Do you pursue it with a great deal of zeal and energy? Or do I take it lightly? We cannot read each other's hearts. You can't do it. I can't do it. But if we take it lightly, one of two things. Either we never were truly converted or we have tragically fallen away. And I'll tell you this, if we disregard or have a disregard for faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, then we are taking our salvation very lightly. You see, as we tried to bring out this morning, we can touch all the bases religiously, 
outwardly and religiously, we can go around, we can touch all the bases and we can create a form of religion, but we can deny the power thereof because we're not being like Mary. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Giving the more earnest heed, paying closer attention to the things we've heard, I think this is if not the best one, the greatest attitudes we can have because it involves Christ and involves the gospel. Why is it so important? Because of the exalted position of Jesus. Because we don't want to be drifting away. We want to be sure that we escape the wrath of God and because that salvation is so very great. When we give heed to the gospel, it means we surrender in obedience to that gospel. Just like those in Samaria, they, they gave heed to what Philip said and they believed and they were baptized. Isn't that so similar? Jesus, before he left the earth, Mark 16, 16, he said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. We, we seek, at least I do, I don't, I don't want to bring out any personal opinions. This is just right from the scriptures. Best I know how. This is right from the Bible. Do you agree? Do you agree? If this is right from the Bible, don't you think that we need to make sure we're not taking our religion lightly? That we're not overlooking all that the Lord would require of us. Paul's about to come now and lead us in a song. Let's give serious consideration to the condition of our heart and life. Will you come right now, Brother Paul?